Let's take our Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We are just about finished with our study through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working through this for quite a while, and Lord willing, between tonight and next Wednesday night, we will uh, complete this study. And I'm looking forward to what's coming next for this summer on our, in our Wednesday evening time and our Bible study. Uh, we are going to be working through uh, 1 Thessalonians and part of that book. Uh, we won't get through the whole thing this summer. We're going to do chapters 2 through 4. And uh, I'm going to be uh, utilizing some of the different men that uh, the Lord has been leading and encouraging their lives about uh, preaching and proclaiming God's Word to others. And so it's not an exhaustive list, but I'm thankful to have a, a number of men that the Lord's working on their lives that way. And so they'll be taking uh, different weeks throughout the summertime. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from them as they challenge us. Um, back in January, the first of this year, uh, we had several who preached through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you were here on that Sunday morning, you'll remember that. I had one of the, our widow ladies recently asking, Pastor, when are we going to do that again? That was so encouraging uh, to hear from uh, other people that can preach the Word of God. And, and so I said, well, that is something we need to do again. So I thought this summer would be a wonderful time to be able to do that and encourage them. We've got a couple of uh, workshops we'll be doing on Sunday afternoons with them as well as uh, just talking about preparing your message and preparing your heart and, and uh, proclaiming that, putting together um, something that hopefully makes sense to those who are listening and, and uh, a way to be able to teach and preach God's Word. And so that'll be something that'll be special on these Wednesday nights through the summer. Um, in a few weeks, we have our, our junior campers will be away at junior camp. I'm planning to go with them up to that week. It's uh, June 13th through the 17th, and so I'll be away the Wednesday night of the 15th, and then our teens will be gone to camp at the end of June, uh, the last week. And then another thing we have coming up that's very special this summer, uh, we're doing something when our church first started, uh, we had a number of mission teams that came in to help us that first summer. And uh, so we hosted different groups, youth groups, college age, young people, adults from several different churches, and they came and helped us reach out into our community. And uh, several of the families that are part of our church now came as a result of that effort that first summer. And that was how we kind of got our start here. And uh, so uh, last, last fall, I think it was, or maybe it was early fall, I got a call from a young man who's a youth pastor in North Carolina. And he said, I'd like to bring my teens out to come and do a mission trip to help your church plant there in Houston. And uh, he had been here when he was in college to help with a group of college students to help on a mission trip like that. And I said, well, God's blessed. The church is growing. We, we've been doing a lot of our own outreach here. We, you know, we always love help. I said, what if we were able to get several other churches together? And we kind of did this to help several other church plants. So we've been involved with, a, with a New Life Baptist Church. And then there's another new church that started kind of on the northeast side of Houston um, and uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church last year. And so we've been doing a little bit to encourage them as well. And so we have groups coming from several different churches for that week. And uh, we're guesstimating it'll be between 50 and 60 teens total that'll be here. 
Um, so that'll be the week of July 11th through the 15th. So that Wednesday night, we'll have a lot of extra young people joining us for the service, and that'll be a special night of that week. Each day of that week, we'll be doing outreach in a different area of Houston around a different church plant, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And if you are interested in joining with some of that outreach, even for a day or something, please let me know. This is not something that would only work for teens. Adults can be a part of it. If you want to come as adults and bring your family to join, that'd be perfectly fine. And uh, we'll be having some training time in the morning for the teens here at the church, and then be going out doing outreach during the day. And then each evening, Monday night, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday night, uh, the, all the group will be meeting at one of the different church plants for a special service. So we're, if you grew up in a youth group, you might know what a youth conference is or a mission trip is. And we're kind of taking both of those and putting them into one thing for this week. And uh, for the week of July 11th through 15, we're calling it Houston for Christ. And so we're excited about that opportunity to reach out around three church plants and help and encourage them with outreach in their communities. And then on the Friday of that week, each of those churches is going to be hosting a special community outreach event, like we've done here in the past. And we'll be hosting one of those here as well that week on Friday the 15th. And we want you to bring your families and your kids and invite your neighbors and anybody with kids and families. They'll have a great time. We'll have bounce houses and probably it usually ends up that I end up in the dunk tank. I don't know why, but uh, that's usually where I end up spending some time although I don't really mind in July. I'm probably the coolest person there in the dunk tank, so um, I'm quick to take that opportunity to suffer and, uh, or serve in that way, I don't know, or, or be served in that way. And so we'll enjoy that. Maybe some others will take a turn in there as well. But it's just an opportunity for us to meet folks in our community, in our neighborhood, and encourage them, and uh, hopefully get the opportunity to share the gospel with them and invite them to church. And so that'll be on Friday night, the 15th so there's a, of July. So there's a lot going on that week. And I would encourage you to be praying about that and uh, be involved with that. Obviously, teens, we want all of them to come that week if they are able. And uh, then um, each of those nights, Monday night, will be over at New Life with David Cripps. And Tuesday night, we'll be over at Mount Zion. Brother Donnie's coming over from um, Baytown, or not Baytown, from... Beaumont area from Lumberton and, and another one of the churches, we've been able to encourage them there in their start. And so they're bringing a group of teens to join with us as well. And so it's going to be a fun week of outreach and ministry. It'll probably be kind of a tiring week too, but uh, it will be fun opportunity to share the gospel with many folks. And then just a couple of weeks after that, the end of July, um, July 24th to 27th, we have our vacation Bible school. So that'll be another Wednesday night where it will be different than normal. So I just want you to be a part of as much or all of it that you can be a part of, but just know during the summer we'll be having service of some kind every Wednesday night. But if you show up for that Wednesday in July, uh, July 13th, I guess that would be, there will be a lot of other teenagers that you don't recognize. And the teens that are normally out there will be in here with us and we'll have a special service with them that night. A couple weeks after that, of course, Vacation Bible School. We'll have a lot of uh, families and children and guests with us that night as well. So a lot of things to be looking forward to in our midweek during the summertime. And um, I'm glad that you're all here tonight. And I'm glad that we've had so much time to be able to work through 
the Sermon on the Mount. When I started into this, I really wanted to take the time necessary, so we spent a week on each one of the Beatitudes, if you remember that. And so we've been in this a while, and then we spent weeks on all of these little sections where Christ was dealing with issues about the law and issues about, you know, well, you believe this or you've heard that this has been said, but I say unto you. And he helps to clarify and point them back to the truth. And here as we get into Matthew chapter 7, and we've already been here for several weeks, of course, but we're really bringing it down to a lot of application that he's making now and challenging people to live out their faith and to walk with the Lord in a real substantive way. He's challenged us that the way to eternal life is a narrow way. And he says, and few there be that find it. He talks about the broad way and he says, many go that way. And he talks about judging and and knowing people's fruit and, and determining whether someone is going the right way or the wrong way. And in the challenge we're going to look at tonight, Christ tells us to beware of false prophets. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. I'll read verses 15 through 20. I have a lot of scripture tonight, and I won't probably give you time to turn to every passage, but I would encourage you on your notes, find some white space and write down some of these references. They could be very helpful to you later as you look up and think about this topic of false prophets, because this was something Jesus preached very strongly about. He spoke against very directly. But it's a theme that we see throughout the Word of God, and I think you'll see that tonight as we look at a number of passages together. But let's look at our text first, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And He says very simply, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast, he says, into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus has told us that we are to enter in through the narrow gate. That narrow gate is described as the way to eternal life. Jesus defined this in John 14, verse 6, where He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The true way is narrow. The false way is broad. The true way is dependent upon Jesus Christ. The false way is dependent upon ourselves. We know there's a a narrow way. There is a broad way. And in the same way, there are true prophets and there are false prophets. The false way and the false prophet both claim to lead to eternal life in the same way that the narrow way and the true prophet both claim to point to eternal life. That's one of the challenges of discerning and understanding what false prophets are because the reality is the false prophet is claiming 
to be a messenger from God just like the true prophet is. The false prophet is claiming to have been called by God in the same way a true prophet is. And this prophet, false prophet says that he has the message of God and eternal life in the same way that the true prophet claims to point people to eternal life. So the first thing we see here in our text in, in Matthew chapter 7 is a warning about false prophets. There's a warning about false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets. To beware, to watch out, to be careful of, to take notice of. To the nation of Israel, false prophets were a thing that they understood and that they were aware of. As long as God has had true prophets, Satan has had his false prophets. Moses, back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, he warned the nation of Israel about false prophets. He said this, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you, whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So he says, if somebody tries to lead you to a false god, reject them. In fact, he says, God may be testing you to see whether or not you're really serious in your walk with God or not. He says in verse 4, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and ye shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to Thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away, put it away, he says, from the midst of thee. But the sad truth is this, that there will always be people who will listen to false prophets. People like somebody who will make them feel good and comfortable about their current situation. Most people really don't want somebody to tell them that they're doing wrong. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 30, verses 9 and 10, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Listen, which say to the seers or to the prophets, say not, and, or see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. In other words, he says there's people that want to hear things that sound good, that are smooth. Jesus warned His own disciples about false prophets. In Matthew 24, verses 3 through 5, He said, And as He sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, He said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. False prophets claim to be Christ. Matthew 24 and verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. 
insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, even those who may be trusting in Christ as their own Savior may even be turned away and deceived by these false prophets. So he's very clear here in Matthew 7 when he says, Beware! Watch out! John, the beloved disciple, wrote this in 2 John 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The Apostle Paul warned the Christians in Rome in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Stay away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. What do they serve? He says, but their own belly, their own lust, their own desires, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. He said to Timothy, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, speaking of the Holy Spirit here, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter 2.1. He says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. These false prophets are referred to by many names throughout Scripture. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. they're called false brothers. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, they're called false apostles. In 2 Peter 2, 1, they're called false teachers. 1 Timothy 4, 2, speakers of lies. Matthew 26, 60, he calls them false witnesses. In Matthew 24, 24, he calls them false Christs. And so John said, we must try the spirits. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Paul, in his final meeting with the leaders at the church at Ephesus, as he met with them after he left Ephesus, remember they came to him at Miletus. We looked at this in the book of Acts a little while back in Acts 20, verses 29 to 31. Paul said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, he says, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn, beware, everyone night and day with tears. There's always been plenty of opportunity for false prophets to work because most people don't want to hear the truth. Most people prefer to hear what is pleasant and flattering, even if it is false and dangerous. Because if it's pleasant flattering, that says, I'm okay. If it's truth, truth tells us we're not okay. 
that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that without Christ we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So as we're looking at this warning about false prophets, let's consider what is the definition of a false prophet. Well, we know that true ambassadors of Christ have always been marked by two things. First, they are divinely commissioned and they present a divine message from God. They are called by God to declare the message of God and only that message. A true prophet in the scripture was God's voice to men. It's how God often spoke to people. He spoke through His prophet. I want you to notice how Moses, who was a prophet of God, how he responded when he was called by God to carry the message of God to God's people. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is when God comes to Moses. They're in the burning bush. Remember, you can imagine the setting, right? And God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, and Moses responds. He says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. You see this about a prophet? He doesn't necessarily have great speaking ability. He might, but he might not. And the Lord says to Moses, the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Hey, Moses, I made you the way I made you. Isn't that an encouraging thought? If you're made in some way that you feel like, well, I'm less than somebody else, or I'm not as skilled as somebody else, or I don't have this that someone else has. Be thankful God made you the way you are. You're not deformed. You were determined by God to be the way that you were made. You're made with a purpose to glorify God. Yeah, you might be different than the way somebody else made, but you're still made for His purpose and for His glory. God says to Moses in verse 12 of Exodus 4, Now therefore go. And he says, And I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. What an encouraging word from the Lord, but also challenging. Here's Moses. God, I can't speak. I have a slow tongue. I'm not eloquent like other people are. And God says, Who made your mouth? I did. So go. And I'll be with your mouth because I made it. And I'll, I'll give you the words that you are going to say. I'll teach you what to say. But here's the thing about false prophets. They claim to be called by God as well and to speak on His behalf. Listen to what God told Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. He said, A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. People love the false prophecy. Why? He says, and what will you do in the end thereof? They love the false prophets and the false prophecy because it made them feel good. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying about the coming destruction of Judah at the hands of Babylon. God had been patient 
over and over, but the people mistook God's patience for God's confirmation or affirmation of their choices. But God was very clear as He spoke to His people that destruction would come because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 14, 14, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, and a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. Those false prophets came in saying things like this to the people in Jeremiah's day. Peace, peace! Claiming that God was going to keep peace in the land. But Jeremiah said, they said, peace, peace, but there is no peace. They claimed to have a message from God, but it wasn't truly from the Lord. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23, 14, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. We'll get to this a little bit more in a few minutes, but a prophet ought to be judged not just by their message, but also by their lifestyle. These prophets that claim to prophesy truth and to speak from God, he described their lifestyle. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. Their walk doesn't match up with their talk. That none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Jeremiah 23, 16, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not to the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. Don't listen to those prophets. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart. Did you catch that? And not out of the mouth of the Lord. The false prophet speaks from what their heart wants to say rather than what God has told them to say. Jeremiah 23, 21, he said, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Just because somebody prophesies doesn't mean it's from God. As we try to understand what a false prophet is, it's helpful to understand. A true prophet understands their message comes from God, and they may, like Moses was, even be hesitant to share it and feel unworthy to carry such a message. The false prophet speaks and claims to be from God, but his lifestyle doesn't match up with the message and the character of the God that he claims to represent. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect." Some of the classic examples in Scripture of false prophets were the scribes and Pharisees. These false shepherds, they were self-seeking, self-serving. They were focused more on lining their own pockets and gaining notoriety among the people. They were focused much more on that than they were of actually pointing people to a personal relationship with God. They spoke with empty, deceptive Words. Paul told the church at Ephesus in his letter to them in Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't let people trick you with their lies, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Beware, watch out for false prophets. Why? Because false prophets are not just wrong, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. We can say, well, it's not a big deal. 
Just ignore it. No, they're, they're dangerous. Why are they dangerous? Because they're not just focused on hurting people physically. They're hurting people spiritually. They take even supposed believers, perhaps even true believers who have wandered away and they're deceived and led away from truth. I was reading how many of those who followed after the cult leader Jim Jones, you're familiar with this, the, the man who led over a thousand people to commit suicide with him and he claimed to be uh, speaking on the behalf of, of Christ. He grew up in Indiana and then had churches so-called in California and then eventually moved over to Africa to, to, to lead. This was a guy who was friends with Jimmy Carter, who was friends with the governor of California, who was appointed the head of the housing authority in, I think, San Francisco back in the 70s. This was a, a man who had a lot of clout and a lot of connections, a lot of influence. And yet he led people away from the Lord. But they were going and doing some research on his followers. Many of his followers claimed to have grown up in a Christian home in a Bible-preaching church. In fact, one day he took a bunch of his followers next to the Missionary Baptist Church in one large city in California, and he held a big faith healing service, and he told the people what they were following was not true and that he was proving that what he was doing was real. And so over 200 of those people left that church and came and joined his. How sad. Of course, today we look back and say, what an awful person, what a terrible leader. But at the time, he looks to many like he's speaking the truth. False prophets are not just wrong, they're dangerous. Peter called them brute beasts. 2 Peter 2.12, But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Jude 10 says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. So how should you respond to false prophets? Well, carefully, carefully, carefully. Jude 21 to 23 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference. And he says, And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Be careful. When you reach out, when you try to make a difference, when you try to speak in that way, be careful because... The false prophet is very deceptive. In fact, so deceptive, as you'll see in a minute, that many times they have deceived themselves into believing the truth that they claim to proclaim. The danger of false prophets is greatly increased because of their deception. See, an enemy who presents himself as an enemy, you can watch out for, you can be careful for, but an enemy that pretends to be your friend is much harder to defend against. In the Old Testament, prophets often wore rough, hairy, uncomfortable clothing. And we see that like in Zechariah 13.4, he talks about the rough garments that prophets would wear. The last of those 
Old Testament prophets who's written about, of course, in the New Testament, John the Baptist, the last of those Old Covenant prophets, he wore clothes made out of camel's hair. And he lived in the wilderness. He ate honey, wild honey and locusts. And it's interesting, Zechariah 13, he talks about how sometimes false prophets would wear rough clothing to pretend to be true prophets. He says in Zechariah 13, 4, It shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. They're wearing these rough clothing to deceive others to make it look like, wow, this guy clearly must be a prophet because look how he's wearing uncomfortable clothing because that's what the prophets would wear. It's interesting, we see and you think about how a shepherd who's watching his sheep, what would a shepherd's clothing be made out of? Well, wool, sheep's clothing. Let's look back at Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. What does it mean to be in sheep's clothing? Well, see, false prophets don't impersonate sheep. They impersonate the shepherds. It's the shepherd that wears the sheep's clothing, right? Clothing made from the wool of the sheep. False prophets come as those who are there to lead the sheep, not just as one of them. In the Bible, we see the three different kinds of false teachers mentioned. Heretics apostates and deceivers. Heretics were those who openly rejected the Word of God and taught something other than God's Word. Apostates were those who had once followed the truth but then turned and went their own direction and tried to lead others away with them. And we see those same kinds of people today. But there's a third kind described as deceivers. Those are those who are giving an appearance of walking in truth but in reality are living a lie. Paul wrote about this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. He says, For such are false prophets, or false apostles, I'm sorry, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And then he says, And no marvel. It's no surprise. It's no shock. Why? He said, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. If Satan purports to be an angel of light, a, a leader of truth, a, a presenter of truth, it's no wonder then his followers also transform themselves to be leaders and speakers of truth. Sheep's clothing, dressed like a shepherd. Therefore, it's no great if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. False prophets. They're not mean. They're not angry. They like to be with Christians. They like to speak like Christians. They want to be identified as a Christian. And often even what they teach seems to be biblical. It's interesting in 2 Timothy 3, 13, Paul writes and he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving, he says, and being deceived. In other words, they'll even believe their own message. Have you ever seen somebody say, what that person is teaching is false? How can they do it? Well, a false prophet often believes their own message. Say, how can they do that? Because 
The devil is a deceiver. And those who follow after him and reject God, there's no middle ground. You're either walking with God or away from God. You're either serving Christ or you're serving Satan. There's not a, a middle place. So how do you identify these false prophets? Well, they're usually identified not by what they say, but perhaps maybe by what they don't say. What they don't say. They may not openly deny the truth of Scripture. Now, a heretic or an apostate might, but a deceiver, why would he openly deny something that he claims to be presenting? They don't openly deny the truth of Scripture. They just ignore the truth of God's Word. They choose to focus on things that people want to hear. The portions of the Bible that are more palatable to the hearers to allow people to stay where they are in their sin rather than preaching all of God's Word. You can identify them by what they don't speak about. You can also identify them by their motivation. 1 Peter 5.2, Peter's writing to those who would be pastors, who would be shepherds of the flock, and he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, and he says, not for filthy lucre. A false prophet is one who's looking to enrich himself, take care of his own needs before taking care of the needs of those to whom he ministers. We see a definition of false prophets, the deception of false prophets, but our text tonight is very clear that there is damnation coming for those false prophets. Go back to verse 19 of Matthew 7. He says, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's judgment coming for the false prophet. That judgment comes in the form of destruction. Jesus said a few verses earlier in verse 13 of Matthew 7, He says, The broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And then right after our text, we'll look at this next week. Jesus said in verse 22 and 23, Many will say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess in them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers, ye that work iniquity. The warnings of false prophets, the scripture's full of them. So, those are the warnings. Then how do we watch how do we watch for these false prophets? Look back at our text again. Verse 16, Matthew 7. Jesus says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now, I think there's some great encouragement for us tonight because when you read about all the deception and, and the trickery of these false prophets, it might cause you to be afraid. Well, then what am I going to do? Jesus said, You'll know them. You'll know them by their fruits. So, yes, they're deceptive, but they're not unknowable. They're not undiscernible. You can discern a false prophet, and he says, you'll know them by their fruits. And then he asks a question to give us an illustration. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Okay, here's the picture, right? If you had a tree or a bush, could you have some grapes stuck on the end of the thorns of that thorny bush? Well, you could. And from a distance, it might look like that thorny bush is bearing fruit. 
that the fruit is growing out of the thorns, but when you get up close, you'll be able to tell the difference. No, that fruit didn't really come from that tree. It's just been stuck on that tree. Or figs of thistles. It's, that's the picture, right? Could you make it look from a distance like everything's okay? You could. But then he goes on in verse 17, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Now this is really important because from a distance it may look like there's good fruit. The tree might look healthy. But when you get up close, are we supposed to be just looking at the tree? No, we're supposed to be looking at the fruit. That's actually really important, right? Because we can put on a good show and make it look like we have everything going right. But what's the fruit? Well, the Scripture speaks about the fruit. It speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It speaks about the spiritual transformation that ought to be taking place in all of our lives on a regular basis. He says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So we know them by their truth. A prophet has to be judged by his life, not just by his words or his appearance. The kind of person that someone really is will re be revealed in time through their actions and attitudes. It's kind of scary, right? That's one of the important things about being in a church body. It's a scary thing, too because it's a place where we ought to be getting up close and personal with one another. If you hang out long enough, people will see your fruit and what kind of fruit it is. Those who want to stay at a distance, often it's because they are not really sure that they want somebody to really know their fruit. And here's one of the problems in churches, because sometimes people take advantage of somebody else who's struggling. And that's not right. Don't let somebody else's weakness or struggle be your excuse to sin against them. No, we've got to be a church not that is being critical of people, trying to find things to nitpick and hurt them, but we ought to be a place that says, hey, I'm concerned about the fruit here. Let me help you. Let me fertilize this tree a little bit. Let me dig around it and help, it, help this soil to loosen up. Let me feed it with some good nutrients and put some good water on this soil so that this tree can begin to bring fr forth fruit. Look closely and you'll know the truth. Jesus says, you will know them. But when believers are not serious about their study of God's Word, when we're not focused on obeying the truth of God's Word, when we're lazy in prayer, we open ourselves up to be deceived, don't we? I mean, if you don't know the truth, how can you tell a counterfeit? If you're not walking in the Spirit, how can you discern when someone else is not walking in the Spirit? This is where it puts the onus on every one of us as a child of God, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to say, I'm going to walk with God in such a pl place, not to be critical and judgmental of others, but to be able to accurately inspect fruit, to know the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. Not just to stand from a distance and kind of look at the tree and say, well, it looks okay. But to be able to get up close 
you and I might walk around here in Houston and look at all the trees and say, well, they look great, but somebody who knows trees, somebody who's an arborist, they're going to get up and say, yeah, it looks great from a distance, but here I'm concerned. See these bugs going up and down the tree and see where they've made a hole over here and see where this branch does not have leaves on it anymore and these do. This tree has some weakness. It has some problems. Why? Because its fruit is not what it should be. Fruit can look good, but it can even be poisonous. And so Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you're not growing in your walk with the Lord, if you don't know the Word of God, you're not going to be able to discern this fruit. You're not going to be able to discern what false teaching and false prophets are. So he gives us here three different tests, three different tests, right, as he talks about the fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. He says, good tree bringeth forth good fruit, a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. We can watch their character, right? We can watch their character. Jesus said to the Pharisees when he was speaking to them and challenging them about their personal relationship with God, he said in Luke 3 verse 8, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. They were depending upon their family tree to gain themselves acceptance with God, God says, no, bring forth fruit, the fruits of repentance. Your heart is not full of pride in who you are or who was your dad or your granddad or in this case, your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. No, bring, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Watch their character, the character of the Pharisees. They, they weren't repentant. They were proud. They were arrogant. Jesus said in a, a few verses later in Luke 3.11, He answers, saith to them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Somebody's character is a character of humility and repentance. It's also character, a true prophet. The, the true speak, truth speaker is one who is a giver. A giver. They're not in it for themselves. They're willing to give. In Luke 3, verse 13, he said to them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. They're not going around asking other people to take care of them. No, they're there to trust God and serve Him. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, he speaks more about the character of those who are walking in truth. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, peace, meekness, Temperate, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. And Peter speaks about the continual growth that we ought to all experience in our life if we're walking with the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 580, he said, And beside all this, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And the brotherly kindness, charity, 
If these things be in you and abound, that you make, that you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our house, next to the door that goes out to the garage, we have a board on the wall, and it has inch marks and feet marks on it. Maybe you have something similar at your house. Maybe it's not a board. We got a board because it was easier to move with us. But when I was growing up, those marks just went right on the door frame. And what do those marks represent? They represent growth. I remember as a kid running up to that, measure me. We learned in our house you want to be measured first thing in the morning because you're actually slightly taller in the morning than you are in the evening because gravity's had its effect on you all day. So my mom could tell you there were days we would be laying in bed stretching out to the length of our height and then we would get down and we would slide on our backs on the floor all the way downstairs to the, to the uh, place to stand because we didn't want anything to shorten us down because we want to have the maximum growth possible. Some of you may look at me and say, I wish you hadn't grown as tall because my neck's tired looking at you. I understand. But we were excited to see growth and change. My kids are doing the same thing now. Dad, measure me. I just measured you last week. Measure me again. Maybe I've grown. You know, what if we took that same attitude in our relationship with God and our spiritual growth and we said, man, when I look at the Word of God, I've got a long way to go, but it's sure encouraging to see that I've grown in my faith, in virtue. I've grown in my knowledge and my temperance and self-control. You see, if we're watching out for false prophets, we'll know them by their character. Their character. It ought to concern you if you can look at somebody over a period of time and not see spiritual growth in their life. It ought to concern you if that person is you looking in the mirror at yourself. It ought to concern all of us because remember, Ephesians 4 tells us the measure is the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I, for one, even at all six feet five inches that I am, have so far to go to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's far and away so much greater and higher than any of us have even thought about becoming. So it's not for me to measure against somebody else and say, well, look, I'm clearly a lot further along than them. No, it's for me to look at Christ and say, Lord, help me. Keep me humble. Keep me repentant. Keep me transparent. Keep me growing. Keep me faithful. Keep me giving. Keep me growing to be like Jesus Christ. Watch their character. Watch their creed or their doctrine. Careful examination of the teaching of the false teacher will show you whether or not his teaching is from God. Jesus gives the example of the grapes and the figs. When you get up close and look at that fruit, did it really come from that tree or not? Or was it just sort of put on there to make it look good from the outside? Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. What will you do in the end thereof? The false prophet preaches encouragement, but not correction. Positive words, but not negative truth. Cheap grace that doesn't require holiness and righteousness before God. They preach the love of God without the holiness of God. Is God love? Absolutely, but He's also holy. Watch their teaching, their creed, their doctrine. And finally, and I know we need to be done, watch their converts. Their converts. 
See, 2 Peter in chapter 2, verse 2 says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, follow after those false teachers, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There will be many who will follow the wrong way. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want to sit and listen to the truth, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I know, coming on to church in the middle of a week and hear about false prophets may not be the most encouraging message of the week. And I like to be able to encourage us from the Word of God. But God's Word is encouraging in that it warns us about things we must watch out for. Better to know and be prepared than to not know and be deceived. We live in a world full of false prophets, but that's not a new thing. And it's interesting how in times of great intensity and struggle, it seems like the false prophets seem to abound. Why? Because the false prophet is promising the same thing that the faithful true prophet is promising, eternal life. But the difference is the truth says Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The false prophet says, yes, but there's a lot of other things out here that God wants you to have. There, there's a lot of other things that we can add into this. Ultimately, it comes down to what is this person? Do they believe in a true Christ or a false version of Christ? Have they made their own version of who the Lord is and what the gospel is and how to walk with Him. God's Word's clear. There's a lot to it. We better study it and know it. Continue to grow in it. So where's the encouragement for us? Well, the encouragement is that God gives us the tools. Remember He said, by their fruits, ye will, you will know them. You shall know them. So these pro false prophets are not invisible. They have fruit, but that fruit has to be discerned as to whether or not it's good fruit, which does require work on our part. But God's given us the truth of His Word, this filter, if you will, that we can pass any person's teaching, any book that we read, anything that we hear and say, well, how does this match up with the Word of God? I think the challenge for us as Christians, as any people though, is many times the barometer that we use to determine truth or not truth is just kind of our own feeling on the, on the situation. Eh, it feels good, sort of finger in the wind kind of Christianity. Or we just kind of watch everybody else. Well, what's everybody else think about this? And I think the scripture teaches that, yes, it is encouraging to be with other people and kind of taking our cues from them, but ultimately we all have a responsibility to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, to be workmen that are not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yes, beware, but know that God is there to help us 
so that we can grow in our understanding, so we can grow in our discernment, so we can choose the right path, the narrow way, and leads, that leads to eternal life and not end up going down that broad way that leads to destruction. Father, thank you for your truth that speaks to us. Lord, your word is truth. And you said in your word, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. May we take your truth tonight and apply it to our lives to be discerning, to take careful stock of the fruit of the character of the teaching of the followers of others and even of ourselves. Lord, when we look behind us, we have a responsibility to be leading others in their relationship with the Lord. But when we look ahead of us, we ought to be seeing Jesus Christ and growing closer and closer to Him. Lord, help us not to be guilty of being false prophets ourselves, of leading people to ourselves and, and not to the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless and encourage each one as we do live in interesting and challenging days. Lord, that we would be discerning, that we would be growing in our walk with you, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.